Welcome into the Odson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopo, Jared Mack on the show. This sunny and cool, crisp fall Monday morning just turned into a hot one because uh, literally right when we were about to record our mailbag, uh, we were going to talk recruiting on the mailbag. But right before we started, Elijah Rushing, uh, a five-star prospect in the 2024 recruiting class, the number 14 player overall, the number two edge defender in the country, the number one player in the state of Arizona, has announced he's flipping or he's committing to the Oregon Ducks. He was a longtime Arizona commit a couple weeks ago. He decommitted. The Ducks became kind of the proverbial favorite to land him. Um, we thought this could happen some point this week. Um, we were told, look for it maybe happening early of the part of the week. And as Eric said, off camera, this about happened as, as early as it could, uh, this, this week, cause it happened Monday morning around 9am Pacific time. Big news. The second five-star defensive line commit for Dan Lanning, uh, in about two weeks too, guys, uh, Aiden Breland also committed. During that Washington weekend, um, rushing now Breland or Breland now rushing, excuse me. This is a massive get. Um, Jared, where does this put Oregon in the team rankings? Because this hasn't updated yet, but I assume it's higher than it currently was than it was previously. You you would be correct um, with the <laughs> five star edition of Elijah rushing. Um, actually, I'll start before Oregon was tenth in the country. Uh, with a composite score of 269.35, which, again, very good. There's uh, There was obviously plenty of uh, fruit potentially left on the tree for Oregon to add to the recruiting class. Um, they probably just picked the largest apple that was left in rushing. Um, that moved them all the way up to six in the country with a composite score of 277.16. Uh, here are the teams that they trail in order. Georgia, Ohio State, Florida, Florida State, Bama. They leapfrogged LSU, AM, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma to get into the top six. Um, the gap between them and Alabama is three composite score points. So that could be another addition. Um, that could be a significant bump in rankings for multiple members of the class, which I don't think is likely, but another commit, like a someone like a Jericho Johnson um, could certainly move the chains. Uh, he's a guy that Oregon is, has been after, or, or Jordan Seat in the five-star offensive tackle has used two unofficial visits to Oregon and still has un official visit so we'll see how that goes but um likely not going to be catching georgia or ohio state um georgia right now is at 314.49 because they're an animal so that's going to be a <laughs> it's going to be a rather uphill battle but um they're right there and uh i haven't dug into the research i'll probably do that right now of uh once eric starts to talk i'll throw myself on mute um but i'll start to look into what it would take to get to oregon's highest team composite score that they've had, which I still think was the 2021 class, if I remember correctly. I think you do. And at the top of my head, I want to say that score was closer to like 290-ish, 280, maybe too yeah. high 280s. So, um, I'll go do a quick little look. Yeah, while Jared's doing that, let's switch gears and go from the team rankings part, because that's let's put that off to the side, because that part is subject to change, um, obviously with commitments from Oregon, with commitments from other schools, with decommitments all that sort of stuff. But this is such a massive addition. <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me, as Matt said, when you pair this with the Breland edition um, and you look at what they've done with this linebacker class with Braden Platt and Kamar Mathudi, um, 
this is just really, really impressive work from this staff. And rushing is a guy who, I mean, we saw this cycle, Oregon go out and get three pretty highly regarded edge guys, but none as highly regarded as Elijah. And all three of those guys are like pretty significant contributors playing 15 to 20 snaps per game. I'm talking obviously about Mateo Younglele, Tatum Tuioti, and, and Blake Purchase. Like we've already seen Tosh Lupoy be able to get a guy from – you know, get a player, bring him in, get him integrated into the system, and those players be able to be contributors right away. And I don't think there's any question a kid like Rushing who physically, I think, is a superior player physically than any of the three players on Oregon's roster. He's different than Mateo. He doesn't have quite that same girth, but the bend, the athleticism, the length, like you watch him, he looks like kind of like a basketball player out there on the field. There's with his long arms. He's all of six foot six. Um, looks the part, super explosive, still pretty skinny, kind of in the legs and, and waist. Like you can tell there's, there's added, you know, explosiveness, added weight to be had. Like this is a guy who I think is like six six two fifty currently on the listed that way. Yes. Yes. I think he's six six two seventy five when he's playing at his best in, in two or three seasons. And at that weight, if he's able to maintain the explosiveness, there's a reason he's a five-star. He's going to be a guy who's going to be all over the NFL draft boards, who's going to be talked about as a possible top 10, top 15 pick. That's why he's ranked in that range right now. As, as those who are unfamiliar, that's what our rankings at 24-7 Sports are trying to accomplish. We're trying to project what kind of an NFL draft prospect this player will be. And rushing is one of those guys who certainly has that sort of a ceiling. And you can you pair him with Breland. You pair him with, like I said, the linebackers, with the other young players on the edge that we're talking about right now with this defensive line class. And – You've got to be really, really fired up if you're Dan Landing, you're Tosh Lupo, and the rest of the staff for, for what you're building in 24 and what it could mean even immediately next season. I just – you look at Dan Landing and when he was hired back in December of 2021 and the idea, the, the narrative from those outside of the program, not Dan Landing, he didn't, I don't think he ever said this, but – it was Dan Landing is going to come to Oregon and he's going to bring the SEC bully football. He's going to build up the trenches and Oregon's just going to dominate the line of scrimmage. And look, that's what happened last Saturday at Utah. Uh, that's what Kyle Whittingham talked about. Like very rarely do we ever get dominated in the line of scrimmage. And that happened today. And this is, you know, we're starting to see the fruits of the labor start playing out on the field and this is how they're doing it. They're they're going out and they're landing just dudes along the offense and in this case defensive lines. And you look back at last year's class and you know they signed like ten or eleven edge de defensive lineman type guys. And Mateo obviously is the five star edge defender, um, one of the best players in the country. But they also went out and, and found Blake Purchase. Uh, Tatum to Iodi, and then you go through you know the defensive tackle type guys, and then you look at this year's class, and it's much of the same. Aiden Breland is a freak defensive lineman, and now as as Eric said, they're adding rushing, who is another edge type guy that's going to bring a totally different skill set to the table, a different body type to the table, and Oregon's just loading up on the best players. They, they can get along the defensive line. It happens to be some of the best players in the country. And we talk about like the Pac-12 is dead after this season, but we talk about 
owning the West Coast's best players. And this is another example of that. You know, they've they've got the number one player in the state of California committed to Oregon. They've got the number one player. That's Aiden Breland. They've got the number one player in the state of Washington, which is Braden Platt. They've got the number one player in the state of Oklahoma committed to Oregon. They've got the number one state player in Arizona, which is now rushing committed. Um, they're pretty close with the state of Oregon. They've got the new, number two player there who's an offensive lineman, Devin Brooks. They're going out and they're landing the West Coast best players on a consistent basis. And when they're defensive linemen, which is really rare, we've said this a bunch, it's a huge deal. Oregon now has two of the three uh, best defensive linemen on the West Coast. Uh, the lone option remains is Jericho Johnson, and he's the third highest of the committed. So Breland, Rushing, and Johnson are, are the top three, and Oregon's which, got two of them. And which we should know, Jared, is he's high on Oregon too. Correct. He's already visited. Um, he was actually at Utah this past weekend visiting Utah. He was at Washington when Oregon was at Washington. Um, he's seen a lot of the Ducks. He's seen a lot of how the Ducks play. Um, I want to jump into Elijah Rushing, but before I do that, I have one more point. Um, Oregon's going to be losing a lot of defensive linemen this year. Don't think that's not a major selling point for all these guys to say, look, we're playing a lot of true freshmen. We're playing Mateo. We're playing Purchase. We're playing Tuioti. Like, you guys come in here, jump in the jump in the program early, learn the playbook. Like, there's no reason as to why Breland or Rushing or a potential Jericho Johnson wouldn't play. They're losing a lot of guys on the interior. They're losing a couple edge guys. Um, there's going to be room for them to play. And they're, obviously, Oregon's going to hit the transfer portal as well because they'll just have to get some more talent there. But you're losing guys like you're probably losing Birch. You're losing Dorless, uh, Popo, uh, Casey Rogers, Taki Taimani. Like these are going to be significant losses, but these are significantly talented players, and they're going to make an impact. Um, I wanted to get into into rushing because I obviously really love him as a prospect. Eric, you kind of talked about it in that that six six, two hundred fifty pound frame, um, kind of built like Mateo, but more quick twitch, um, a little bit leaner. But you're right; like when he's going to be filled out, he's going to be like that six six, two seventy five type. He's going to come in and it's going to look like Kayvon Thibodeau in his first year where he's a little bit on the smaller size, but or smaller side, excuse me, but he's got the quickness. He has the finesse, the skill to get around pass rushers and, and wreak havoc off the edge. But Kayvon Thibodeau in his final year at Oregon, like that 2021 season, he was a big dude. And there's no reason to think that Wilson Love and this strength program can't put on like 20 pounds to rushing's frame, keep the speed, keep the athleticism, keep the agility and then have him turn into an absolute monster. Um, Chris Singletary, who works at 24-7 Sports, is a national recruiting expert, uh, linked him to another Oregon lineman, or former Oregon lineman, Eric Armstead, as his uh, draft profile and projected him as a first-round pick. Hmm. Um, I think that's pretty good. I think Armstead's a little bit taller, but uh, you know, other than that, I think they have similar frames. They're both long-armed, uh, really athletic guys who can get into space. Um, and then the last thing I just wanted to go through is stats at where does he play? South Point Catholic in Tucson. Um, 2023 in nine games, he's got 39 tackles, 13 tackles for loss, and 10 sacks. Um, in his career, he has 200 tackles, 37 and a half tackles for loss, and 29 sacks. So every single year he's been consistent. He's been a playmaker. He's been productive. And already this year he's got as many tackles for losses as he did last season and one and a half sacks fewer. So in 
three fewer games as well. So I really like him. I think this is an incredible addition to the class. I think he's a day one potential, like immediate contributor. I think he becomes an immediate contributor if he gets here early. If he gets here in the winter or spring or whatever you want to call it and starts learning the playbook, getting into physical shape of, of the collegiate football level, I think he could be the day one guy. Um, I got one more thing. Sorry, Eric. Go ahead. I was going to go through the, the top-rated classes that Oregon has had. Yeah, go um, for it. I only went to 2019 because that's when recruiting really started to take off at Oregon. I don't really think that there was an outlier year um, before that, to be honest. But you can you can tell me if I'm wrong, and I can go quickly look that up. Go ahead. I'll think, of, I'll think about some of the classes. Deal. Um, so, yeah, tw- 2021, like we were talking about, was the highest-rated class uh, in Oregon in the last couple of years, 287.67, also ranked six in the country. Uh, that was with 23 recruits. So Oregon is already at 24, and they're at 20, 277.16. But I do think that's attainable. Um, this is Dan Lanning's second year in the program, uh, or excuse me, second full real recruiting cycle. He did have the class in 2022, but that was only after coming halfway in. Uh, last year, he had 29 recruits, 278.44, ranked ninth in the country. So this could really flirt with that Mario 21 class um, as being the best, basically, in program history. At least from a recruiting standpoint, you go back and look at the players and realize that 95% of them aren't on the roster anymore. Then you you know, you go about your business. But um, this class could be could be very special. We talked about Jericho Johnson. We talked about Jordan Seaton. Um we didn't talk about uh, Jason Brown up in Washington as a running back as a potential addition to the class as well. Um, there's a lot of guys. And if there's one thing that this Elijah rushing commitment proved, it's that Oregon and Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy and Will Stein on the offensive side of the ball, they're not going to give up just because they committed somewhere else. If they, if they want this kid's services and talents to come to Oregon, they're going to do their best to try to get them there. Um, not only is this Oregon's second highest or second five star, but they now have five top 100 players currently committed uh, to this class. Which a quick run through. I did this a couple of weeks ago, but I just forgot the number. But I did a quick run through all the classes, and I think that ties the the most that they've had mm-hmm. in a class. Now things could change. The rankings are still going to get updated here once right. final we'll, seasons of high school we'll, football we'll happen and the All Star games. Maybe guys move up, but we also could see some guys move down. That that happens. Um, but right now, you have five guys in the top 100 committed, which is the most that Oregon has had uh, in a season. And Jordan Seaton's a five-star prospect. That Oregon is an offense. He's an offensive tackle. They're very much in 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 the picture there. That could be the sixth guy. Um, you look at. A potential flip of Jeremiah McLellan, who's committed to Ohio State but is looking really hard at Oregon of a potential flip, you know, that would be another one that could happen for uh, the Ducks. You, I think there's a couple other guys. I think Jason Brown's in the top 100, as Jared mentioned. Um, Jeremy Johnson is close. Yeah, he's 108. He's yeah. very close. Him and I think Brown is just like 120. Down. Yeah, he's like 115, okay. 114, something like that. But – Again, rankings could go either way with him. Same with Jericho Johnson. So you're in a position where it, it's always big to land five stars. That's 
it's very clear that when you look at the teams that have won the national championship, they have multiple five stars. Um, and when we mean multiple, we mean like double digits almost. Right. Um, and, you know, Oregon's getting up, they're, they're getting closer to that double digit number for five stars on a roster at one time. But I think a, a better sign of can you compete with the best of the best is how many top 100 guys do you have? And Oregon is getting really close. Their blue chip ratio continues to go up. It started with Mario Cristobal. Dan Lanning continues that trend. And to your guys' point, like this staff has done a really good job of going out and finding the best players and just not giving up. He was committed to Arizona since like June or July. And Oregon was basically the number two option. And Oregon said, like, hey, we respect that you're committing to Arizona, but we're not going to stop. And it paid off because two weeks ago he decommitted, and now fast forward to today, he he's an Oregon Duck. Um, do we want to just real quick pose this question? Like, six in the country, as Jared said. They've got a five-star in Jared Seaton still available, really, really, you know, really high on Oregon. Solomon Williams is another four-star defensive lineman that, that likes Oregon. Jericho Johnson's almost a top 100 guy that likes Oregon. Jason Brown. Um, there's a couple other options that they're looking at from a receiver perspective that they're close with. Um, do we want to say this is likely the best class in school history? Uh, I mean, if they land two of those names, I think it pretty much – I mean, I'd have to do the actual class calculator to see if it adds up, but – I would think it would be very, very, very close to being there. So, yeah, I have confidence they'll close strong because they've closed strong the last two cycles. Um, you don't have to go look that far to, to figure that out. And and I think the other component that we haven't touched on here is winning helps in recruiting. And there's some mm -hmm. momentum. And you think about what's going on at some of these other schools that and, – and I know that I don't think there's a head-to-head -head really with any of these schools. But, like, if Oregon was head-to-head -head with USC for a recruit, I don't think there's any question that what's happened the last month would play some sort of a role in your decision-making in terms of going, looks like Oregon's for real, kind of looks like USC's a mess right now. So um, the success in the field is certainly playing a role. And if you look at the rest of the schedule here, we're going to do a mailbag podcast, by the way. Um, so we're going to get into that in here in a second. Eventually, yeah. And we'll, and we'll talk about some of this stuff. But like, there's a good chance Oregon finishes this regular season strong, is playing postseason games that are very significant this year. All of that stuff should help in terms of closing this class out. So I would have optimism that Oregon would, yes. I think this is going to be the school's best recruiting class. Um, was it this cycle or last where Dan was kind of hinting at the possibility of of doing that? I forget. I know he said something about trying to get there. Um, I think it was last because um, what, one of my talking points was going to be like, we we have no idea what the heck's going to happen on signing day. Just like That's also true. Last year. Um, How crazy Oregon was that? Yeah, like I know Oregon didn't land Peyton Bowen, but you know we had heard you know Oregon was in good shape for Mateo, but it wasn't like a hundred percent. Like he was still deciding between Oregon and USC, and then boom, both of them happened in like ten minutes. So again, I'm not saying something like that could happen again this year, but I'm not saying it couldn't. Like we have no idea what's going to go on a national signing day, and you know, unfortunately for a lot of college football programs, neither do they. And they may feel really good about somebody, and then all of a sudden it'll go uh, by the wayside. But uh, like Eric, certain, certainly cautiously optimistic that this could be that um, number one class that Oregon has had. Uh, I don't know if it'll beat the 21 class in terms of like, like they only signed 23 kids. 
and still had a 287.67 composite score. Oregon's already at 24. They'd have to lose some some guys at the bottom and add some really good guys at the top to to try and like match that. But I think all said and done, um, there's a really strong chance that you know come February um, after the early signing day that we'll look back and this class might be in the 290s. It could be close to the 300s. Um, there's going to be a lot of other good recruiting classes, obviously this year, and then. There's still the transfer portal. I think that all kind of like gels together at the end of the whole cycle that um, their their composite score lines up. But yeah, I think in terms of just strictly recruiting, um, could definitely be special. And it's already special on the defensive line front. Um, Tosh Lupoy has certainly earned his worth in uh, the last couple of weeks, getting in with Aiden Breland and Elijah Rushing. So. Uh, excited to see where that ends up. Um, I just wanted to bring this up really quickly. I'm trying to pull the stats up. Um, Oregon has also a verbal commitment from Jackson Jones, who's a defensive end in uh, Arizona, Yuma Catholic High mm-hmm. School. Um, I don't know if you guys have looked at his stats they are bonkers. He's a monster. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find them really quickly because it, it this did not he, – He, by the way, was a guy who at SNL really, like, popped physically, and they were moving yeah. him around. It was, he was working at inside linebacker a little bit, even though he's uh, expected to be an edge guy. Okay, so mm-hmm. he has 17 tackles for loss this season. Um, you look at the sacks – and he has nine already this season. Oregon mm-hmm. is adding two. I, I, I only re- bring this up because Elijah Rushing is going to get all the headlines, and he should because he's an elite pass rusher. But they are adding two really, really special guys off the edge in this recruiting class. And it's very similar to like what we saw last season. They went and landed Mateo, who's the big fish. But Blake Purchase is a dude on this year's team. And – Tatum Tuioti is a dude on this team. And I think Oregon, you look at their commit list and rushing is the prize. And that's why we're talking about rushing today, but they've got multiple guys on this group that, that could potentially make impacts. And we're not going to say they're going to start as true freshmen, because if you're an elite team, you basically don't want a true freshman starting because that means you haven't recruited that position very well, but you want guys to show up and be, contributors like we've seen with Mateo and Blake Purchase and Jackson and Tatum Tuioti. And I think rushing is going to be the tip of the spear at that edge spot, but they've got a bunch of dudes behind them too in this class, which is good to see. Um, do we want to dive into the mailbag now? I think we should. I, I just, sure. last, I, this is going to be a two oh, second. Never mind. Just, just go look at, it's not just the front though. Just look at the entirety of Oregon's defensive recruiting class. They've hit every position. That's the last thing I'll oh, say. The corners. Corners. They, I mean, I, I don't dislike Aaron Flowers as a prospect either. Um, no. this, this, this is a really, really great class defensively. Um, and one you're hoping down the line will, will continue to pay dividends. All right. Let's do this. Let's jump into the um, mailbag portion, which was initially just, we were thinking we would start here, but we're 24 minutes in. Um I'm going to make an executive choice and kind of combine these first two questions into one, just because I think they work together. Um, mm-hmm. So the first one from at barbecue duck 35 in past 
years, the feeling has always been ducks are flying high. Where are they going to fall down? I don't feel quite that way for the first time. Do you and the team feel as confident as I do about this squad? And then tying it in with this question from at Big Duck Tyler. After Oregon State's loss, do you still see them as the toughest remaining opponent on the schedule? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Thanks, guys, for the questions. Um, the reason I wanted to put these together is because I think how I feel going down the, the stretch run is obviously in part due to how Oregon's playing, but also what is in front of them from a schedule perspective. And I do feel, to Barbecue's question, pretty darn confident. If you listen to, I think, our, our post-game pod Matt and I did in that beautiful Doubletree hotel room on, on late Saturday night, you would have heard us me kind of talk about how I, I, I have pretty high confidence they're going to run the table from here. Um, and that was even before Oregon State lost to Arizona. I don't know how much that loss really impacts my perception of of uh, Oregon State because I've always kind of thought Arizona was pretty good, and that was down in Tucson. And that game I thought was going to be competitive. I didn't know it would go one one way or the other. I kind of thought it was a coin flip game. It just so happened the Beavers lost. Um, I still think now to Big Duck Tyler's question that the Oregon State home game is the most difficult game. On the schedule, I have now moved the at Arizona State game up to two, and I was really tempted to make that the number one toughest game, just because those guys are playing everybody so dang tough. I know Jared, you've been yeah. you've been talking about this one for a minute here, and it was kind of mm -hmm. in the periphery. You're gonna go going. Hey, Arizona State won one game coming into this last weekend. Like I know they're playing. Should have been bright tough, lights, man. But here they are, and they beat. Or they kind of handled Washington State. Obviously, they've got a couple more tough games here before. Sorry, they play Oregon, but. I'm kind of looking at that thinking, I think that's going to be maybe more difficult than these upcoming two uh, home games with USC and Cal. I mean, maybe I'll seem really, really silly for saying that because I think we all know USC has more talent than Arizona State. But in terms of which team is looking more proficient on a Saturday, like the Sun Devils are right now over USC. The USC is stumbling all over themselves. And and again, I wasn't, I don't, I think you could make a case, maybe Jared will, that Arizona State right now is just as scary, especially because it's on the road where Oregon has had a couple of losses in, in, in big spots, you know, in that, in that stadium or in that state right. in recent years. So um, that to me is, I think those two are kind of on the same level. I think those are the two scary ones from here, at least from, from where I'm seated. They're certainly similar. Um, I'm not going to make the case that Arizona state is the more scary game. Uh, I think Oregon state is, I'll answer these questions reverse. I think Oregon State is very clearly the the scariest game remaining on the schedule. Um, I know they lost to Arizona, but kind of similar to to Oregon and Washington, just some interesting coaching decisions by Jonathan Smith. Uh, you know, happened to the best of us. It is what it is. And that Arizona team, I've been saying it now, man. Um, I like them. They're they're a good squad. Uh, Fafita is a, is a good quarterback. He's actually very impressive to watch him. And Tetaroa McMillan is a dude. He is so good. Um, just a very exciting team to watch. Go shout out Jed Fish, Patriot legend. Uh, this is a pro, or I am a pro Arizona podcast member of Ots and Audibles. Um, Jared, so, one really quick. How, how, yes. how, how bummed are you that McMillan's not in this offense opposite of Franklin? Because I was watching that Oregon State yeah. game going, oh man, these yeah. guys would fit perfectly together. But now he's the number one in Arizona. Sure. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a dude. He's so much fun to watch. Um, he's going to be... I don't know where he's going to be on like draft boards next year, but he's certainly going to be mentioned um, as a junior. There's no way he's going all four years. But so anyways, pro Arizona, the the USC game. Has continued to fall 
on my rankings. Um, I was bullish on USC in the preseason. I had predicted Oregon to lose this game in the preseason. And, boy, I don't know if you guys watched <clears throat> that Cal game. I sat down and rewatched it last night, watched like an hour version of it. That was tough. I'm genuinely a little afraid for USC when they play Oregon. Because if Oregon takes care of the ball, which Cal did not, mind you, I hope everybody goes back and watches that, that game. Oregon takes care of the ball. I don't know how they don't put up 50, like easily. Um, that is a... That is a bad defense, and I like their additions. I thought they hit positions of need. Um, they cannot stop running into themselves, and like literally and metaphorically, they continuously trip on themselves every single time they're on the field. It's incredible. I've never seen so many mistakes from a team that had such high preseason expectations. If I were, I don't know how a USC fan can stomach watching their games other than Caleb Williams. And the funny thing is, it was 50 to 49. Obviously, USC lost or USC won, but USC's defense got stops. I promise they got multiple stops throughout the game and they still allowed 49 points to Cal. And I just, I don't know. I mean, USC could be unranked by the time they had to Otson. So I, uh, yeah, I'm going to put Oregon State is obviously the number one. Um, and to very quickly answer the, the first question of the confidence meter. Uh, yeah, I know you should. We should all feel pretty pretty confident. Um, that was a real tester of a game in Utah. Just going into it, obviously Oregon dominated, but the the narrative, the storyline, the hostile environment that is Salt Lake City um, for Oregon to just go out there and kick some ass just repeatedly from the very first jump. I mean, kudos to Dan. He talked a lot about preparation in the post game. Um, they were clearly well prepared to out prepare a Kyle Whittingham led staff is very difficult. We have not seen, I don't really think we've seen that at, at Oregon. I think we've seen them out muscle and out man and out talent them at points like in 2019 during the Pac-12 championship game. But since then it has felt that uh, from a philosophical standpoint, Utah has always won in preparation. And that was certainly not the case. They went out and executed at an incredibly high level. So I think, yeah, you have to feel good about where Oregon is at. Um, this game against Cal will, will be fun. Obviously, the ASU game is going to be another fun one. Uh, good teams win in the desert in November. We'll see how good Oregon really is whenever they play Arizona State. Um, I I think optimism should be high that you go 4-0 in the month of November. Three of the four are at home, and the one team that you do play on the road isn't from a record standpoint, good. And they play hard. You, know, you have to you have to credit ASU and Kenny Dillingham. Like this is a lost season. No bowl eligibility before week one. Like they banned themselves. And they've had a ton of injuries. Their offensive line has had like six guys get hurt. Um, their quarterback, their top two quarterbacks are hurt. Um, and yet they play hard. They almost beat Washington. Um they have come close against a couple other teams. They finally knocked off a squad in Washington State uh, this past weekend. Like they play hard, and they're going to play to the whistle. Dillingham's a really good play caller. They will, like Jared said, going into the desert in November is hard for for teams. We've seen Oregon go down there and lose. 
But if this is your toughest road game, like you got to feel good. Like it, you're going to have a, a, a clear skill advantage, a depth advantage, a talent advantage. I'll say a, a very clear coaching advantage in that game from across both staffs. Like if that's your road game, you should go four and zero. Like the expectation should be you go four and zero because you get Oregon State at home, you get uh, USC at home, and then your other third game is against a Cal team that look similar to ASU. They play hard. They've got some guys that are that are, that are talented, but this should be a blowout, and it's been reflected by that on the the, the betting lines. I think it's like a twenty three point spread, which you know. Washington State was 20 to give you kind of some perspective of where you know Vegas looks at Cal. Um, to the USC point Jared was making, like they're just poorly coached. Like they've got talent, but they're they're undisciplined. They're not prepared, and we don't see second half or in game adjustments. Like how many times have we seen Oregon go into a game, whether it was last year and I think in particular this season where some things are happening in a game and they get caught off guard a little bit. And then whether that's the second quarter or whether that's the start of the third quarter, Oregon's made adjustments and they look really good. Like like Utah game, they had a couple three and outs to end the second quarter. They didn't look clean offensively in the second quarter. Utah had made some adjustments and then Oregon in that third quarter Got a stop, went right down the field, scored. Got a stop, went right down the field and scored again. And game over. Like, th- this team at Oregon makes a ton of adjustments. And three games at home, you're a bad opponent on the road. Yeah, optimism should be high that this team goes 4-0. And you go into December playing a Pac-12 championship game against potentially Washington for a chance for the playoffs. Like, College football is crazy. We always see teams slip up. You just have to think, you know, avoid that slip up. Keep your laser focus. And this is a team that's talked a lot about that, you know, being being dialed in on the week at hand, the game at hand, and don't think big picture type stuff. But you still got to do it. And I guess that's that's the point here is let's, let's see them do it because they should. And we'll get into Calup previews, obviously, this week. Kind of sneaky, more – potent offense than a good defense this yep. year, which is a really strange thing to say about yep. Justin Wilcox coach team. And again, we'll get way more into some of the details as we go this week, but um, I too, to Matt's point, expect Oregon to win decisively. I think I'm guessing we'll all pick Oregon to win and most likely all of us to cover, but um, it's just a different Cal team than you like the last couple of years with Cal. It was like Oregon would win 24, 17. And this is a game mm-hmm. where it very much, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it's like a Oregon gets to 48 or 51 or something like that against this Cal defense, which has been giving up big numbers to to all the good offenses in the conference this year. If you look at, I think USC and Washington more than both had 50 or more points. So um, this is a game where Oregon can certainly put some points up, which is not usually what you say going into California week. Do we want to do a break now, Matt, since our podcast is all janky and we're 35? Yeah, let's take, let's so. take a quick break. And then we'll come back and we'll answer the last three questions on the podcast. All right. Welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. 
One question, two questions kind of into the mailbag. Three left to go. Do you want to do the recruiting at the very end, Matt? Do you... I think we've already we yeah. talked so much okay. about this. Yeah, we already just, that was the plan. Yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. just do these last two. So two more to go here. Um from at UO for life eight four four five seven. Thanks again for asking question. Do you recognize that handle? Um, Ducks were physical, tough, and nasty against Utah on offense, defense, and special teams. Coach Lanning said it was probably the most complete game the Ducks have played. Where do they need to improve? Can they maintain that high level slash style of playing? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. One thing I've really admired to that to that last part about Lanning and, and his coach teams is aside from a game where they were just completely outgunned against Georgia and the very first game he cut was a head coach. I can't think of a game where he, the team just hasn't shown up and it's just kind of wilted and been just run over. And I do expect them to play at a high level. I liked what I heard post game from Dan and Jackson powers, Johnson and Evan Williams, but especially Bo kind of critiquing his own play after what was a really impressive performance. And just the fact that they're not satisfied clearly like that. And that was something that Dan harped on in the post game. I think it, uh, it was Bill Oram asked a question about, is this a team that can make a run to a possible CFP championship? And he said, you know, if this team starts reading its own press clippings, if they start kind of thinking about that sort of stuff, then that's, then probably not. But he said, knowing the guys in that locker room and, and working with them every day, that he doesn't feel like that's something that he's worried about at all. So I do think to that last part that they'll maintain a high level. Um, where do they need to improve? I wrote three different things down here. And by the way, these are not massive components of a football game, but these are components that could cost you a game possibly. Um, I wrote down penalties, and I don't think there's any surprise um, that we start there. Oregon has uh, not been very good at avoiding penalties this year. They're 99th nationally um, in penalty yardage per game. Uh, this last weekend, even in the win, eight penalties – that's, that's a bigger number than I know Dan wanted, and that was, again, something that Bo was was kind of harping on in, in post. Um, so I think that's an area, and that's something we've talked about certainly on this show. And then two things I don't think we've talked a lot about, um, but lack of an explosive return game. And, again, we're getting really into the weeds here, but they are literally second to last in the country in kick returns, um, which is not great, and they're not much better in punt returns. So, again, not that it's a huge thing, but – You'd like to see a couple of times maybe you're able to, to turn it into, you know, get the ball to 30 or 35 as opposed to the 25. Um, again, I know, Jared, it's not costing them anything. Their field position, they've, their offense has been fantastic. But you'd like to see that. Um, and again, we're getting – I told you, we're getting in the weeds after penalties because I think penalties is really the big one that stands out. I'd like to see them get a kick that they can return first. Well, they have had uh, 12 returns this year. <laughs> well, two or three of them were just guys falling on the ball because it was a squib. Absolutely. I'm just saying, what's yeah. the season long? I think the season long is like 26. So um, you'd like, I'd like to see just a little bit of something there. A punt return can flip a game, especially if you're going to be competing in games that are close. Um, mm -hmm. And then the, the other thing I had here was, I, and again, this is again, still nitpicky and Jared, you can laugh at this one too, but you're getting really high end production in the past game, obviously from Troy. You're getting, I think Tez is playing really, really well out of the slot that Z receiver has kind of disappeared in terms of its production. The last three games in particular, Gary mm -hmm. has more than like one touch in any of those games. Trey Sean had a couple of nice plays on Saturday, um, but still not a lot of volume there. And again, again, the offense is still chug chugging along. They look great, but 
a little bit of help there might be important, especially if you're getting into games here with USC and Washington, where there might be a lot of points needed. Uh, maybe not USC as much, but that's a team that's certainly capable of scoring some points. Um, but just to kind of maximize that offense, getting a little bit more from the opposite outside receiver of Troy. Obviously, the pass game is far from broken. Um, Bo is incredible and is absolutely maximizing things. And it's very clear to me, at least, that he loves looking at Troy and that route combination. And that's not rare at all, that that X receiver is going to run the most favorable routes. That's where you put your best guy. And so when you're third and eight and he's going to run a 17-yard post, you're probably going to look there if he finds it, if he gets open. And you're probably going to look at Tez running something underneath second. And then third is going right. to be the, the check down. So, but getting something out of that other receiver position and maybe even tossing the tight ends could kind of fill out this pass game a little bit. Um, to start with the, can Oregon maintain this level of play? Uh, this is an easy answer. Yes. I don't expect them to ever not maintain this level of play with Dan as a head coach. Um, he finds ways to motivate guys, uh, whatever that may be. Uh, his team has always come out with their hair on fire. Um, as they should in football. Dan's a really passionate guy. His team plays really passionately. Um, whenever Oregon makes a play on the field, like Dan's probably one of the first people, first person for first people, excuse me, goodness, uh, to come off the sideline and go congratulate. Um, so I expect them to play with passion at all times. And uh, they've certainly done so since Washington. That could have been a mo an opportunity to not come out and play with a level of intensity. And they certainly have. Um, Concerns, what they could do better. Yeah, penalties, absolutely. Um, even still, it's not incredibly detrimental. They do have to get better at it. They have good games. They have bad games. Some of the penalties are wishy-washy. Like, I don't know, some of the illegal man downfield, I feel like they're just calling that more frequently. I watch a lot of games, and it's just like every every team has that happen at least like once or twice a game to them. It's It's kind of like... I don't know. And it's tough on the RPO situations. I, I get it for an offensive lineman. Um, I mean, I think they just have to keep playing their game, man. I think they're doing so well in all facets. Um, certainly hope to get uh, potentially like a third safety to come up and be a contributing member, or excuse me, a fourth safety outside of Taishim, Evan, and Steve. Maybe get, uh, I don't know, Dalen Austin, someone like that who has worked with the safeties. Maybe Tyler Turner, Cody DeCambra comes up and can play actual spots because that's thin. Uh, I remember talking about that preseason. It's like that's a thin position when you really have like Brian Addison, who is no longer with the team, and then Steve Stevens. And we all weren't um, – I, I, we weren't exactly sure if Steve Stevens was going to perform. And he certainly has this year. He's been great. But they, they might need one other person to just step up eventually. Um, as far as the Z receiver stuff, I agree. There hasn't been a lot of anything from them in the last three games. I'm okay with it. They got Bucky Irving and Jordan James back there. All the production that's going to the Z receivers or should be from the Z receivers are all going to the running backs. And they're all yeah. checkdowns and they're the 18-yard uh, angle route from Jordan James to get into the end zone. Like, if, if there really are only two receivers on this team – in, in Troy Franklin and Tez Johnson, Will Stein's doing a hell of a job to get them open because they're open a lot. And Troy Franklin is open a lot. And so they're doing fine. I don't really think it's it's too much to change. You get the occasional Terrence Ferguson or Casey Kelly or, or Patrick Herbert, big catch, and 
that's all you need. I think they're just going to continue to move the chains. It would be nice, don't get me wrong, if Treshawn Holden could have four catches for 58 yards and like same with Gary Bryant Jr. every once in a while. But um, I think the Z receiver has been taken over by the running back out of the backfield position. So I, I think that's certainly something that you want to see get better, but uh, I don't think it's detrimental, at least no, not yet. Maybe they quadruple team uh, Tez and Troy Franklin and say, hey, Gary Bryant, I wow. appreciate Holden. You're, you're going to be uncovered, so you have to beat us. Let's see what happens. Can they maintain this level of play? Yes, because they just got through, I think, which is going to be like the toughest stretch of the season. Um, at Washington, it was incredibly emotional. And then you have to come back and play Washington State, which is a team historically that's always played Oregon tough. Now, that didn't happen this year, but that kind of felt like a trap game. And then, yeah, immediately had to go on the road again for the second time in three weeks and play a Utah team that's always hard to play. And, look, it ended up not being a close game, but you can't factor for that. Um, you know, Oregon, I felt like weathered the storm. Now they get three or four at home. Playing in front of your crowd is is always easier. They always bring the juice. Um, this Oregon team always plays better at home, and they're pretty damn good when they're on, on the road, which, which should tell you something. So can they maintain this level of play? Yes. Um, I expect that they will. Things to concern about. I mean, Gary, Eric and I talked about the Gary Bryant thing. And Eric, it's beyond just like the last three weeks. Um, he has 18 catches for 227 yards and two touchdowns. Real quick, uh, 15 of those 18 catches and 208 of those 227 yards came in three games. So... Yeah. It's not just like the first half of the season he was doing a lot. It, it's only three games has he really been involved. And to Jared's point, like, yes, Bucky Irving and the check down stuff has, has certainly filled the gap of that. But I do agree that you need to find another outlet, whether that's more tight end play, whether that's a Treshawn Holden or a Gary Bryant stepping up and being more active in the passing game, which Holden has been. You you go back to Stanford, he had six catches. He had two at Washington. He just had one for nine uh, against Washington State. And look, I'm going to call it a catch. He had three catches for like 18 yards and a touchdown against Utah. Like he's been more active in, in production um, the last couple of weeks for, for the Ducks. But even then, like he hasn't had a really big game. Last time he did it was Colorado or Hawaii, four catches for sixty-three yards and two touchdowns. Um, I, I that's something I would look at. Um, I would also point out, like, even though they had two turnovers against Utah and they were critical, we saw the importance of those turnovers. They only have nine this season, turnovers forced, which is like ninety-first in the country. Um, I think to beat a team like Washington again, you need, you know, they had a turnover in that game, but that felt more like a receiver slipping and Michael Penix expecting the receiver to be up when he threw the football. Like that wasn't something that Jalil Florence caused. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time because of a player slipping. Um, 
you, you got to be able to win these elite games. You got to create a turnover and nine turnovers forced or commit, you know, forced this season is a really low number. And I'd like to see that go up But to your point, Eric, at the very beginning, like these are very minute things that, yeah. that we're, we're really, we're, we're really kind of scraping the barrel here to, to find some things that we're super concerned about, or I don't even know if super concerned is the right way to describe it. Like, this this team's really good. And yeah, I mean, I'm honestly not really even concerned with two of the three things I brought up. I just felt like I wanted to bring up three things that that they haven't been thriving at in recent right. weeks. So that's why those are brought up. Like to, to Jared's point, I totally agree. I don't think these are detrimental to Oregon's outcome or season by any means. I just think these are areas that have kind of stood up that are hey, they, maybe they could get better there. But if they don't, I think they can still win out. Like I. Like penalties are the only one that feels semi pressing, but even that, like they committed eight penalties last week and won by four scores. So, mm-hmm. um, you you could totally see a game where you do have if, if Oregon in the conference championship game because I'm going to say it, I think they're going to be playing in that. If, if they have twelve penalties and three of them are drive killers and two of them are drive extenders for Washington, that's going to be a huge problem. But with the way they're playing right now, like. Aside from them just tripping all over themselves and and making a bunch of mistakes that are very out of character for this team, I don't know if there's all that much to improve on. I think they've been playing, as Dan said, like this was their most complete game of the season. And you have to be really optimistic about how they've played. Just like think through the games. Like there's now almost a full season. There's eight games. And like when what's the worst performance they've had? Like they haven't had a total stinker by any means this whole season. It's been a really complete year if you just go through every single game and think them through. Um, not some some kind of unsavory moments at Tech. I don't even think the Washington game they played poorly, just because Washington's really mm-hmm. freaking good. Like this team's their poorest really performance good. is Stanford, and they won forty-two to six. Yeah, probably. And kind of goes to what I think Evan Williams and Taishim Johnson were saying post game was that like they're trending towards playing their best football at the biggest time of the year. And it's true. And I agree with that statement. And a reason why I'm so confident in Oregon playing good is they keep trending up and they keep looking really good. And you look across the conference, you Utah's got issues like that. They can't control the injury stuff. Um, Oregon State did not look good against Arizona. Part of that was because of what Arizona was doing um, in that game. USC we've gone through, and even Washington. Since mm-hmm. that Oregon game, 15-7 to 7, uh, at home mm-hmm. against Arizona State the following week, and then this past weekend, 42-33 to 33 at Stanford in a game that Stanford could have won if their receiver would have just caught the ball instead of – falling backwards and dropping it. Um, They had an opportunity for a game-winning drive, uh, and they missed it on fourth down, um, wide open. Washington has not looked good the last two weeks, and it's come against the two worst teams in the conference. And now this week they play USC. Maybe it's a hangover effect of being so juiced up for Oregon, and maybe they go into those games just feeling confident that they can win with a C-plus performance, and that's, I'm sure, part of it. But – now they're going to play Southern Cal on the road. They get Utah at home, and then they get Oregon State um, three weeks in a row. Like if if, or, if Washington plays like they have the last two weeks, they're going to lose at one of those games. 
I, I feel pretty confident about that. Now, will that happen? I think they're going to turn things around. But my whole point is Oregon is trending up. They're still they're, even though they lost against Washington, their play keeps getting better and better every single week. And I think they're the only team in the conference that can say that right now. I agree. I agree. And I also think that Washington stubbing its toe speaks to the depth of this conference because those are probably the two worst yes. teams. And yet Arizona yeah. State and Stanford, I know Stanford got just washed by Oregon and got washed by <laughs> USC. But that's also a team that like had the gall to come back at Boulder and win. Like they're not like there's not a lot of there's just aren't complete pushovers in yeah. this conference. No, it's a real talented conference. And uh, that Stanford game against USC was like their second game. Third, second game, yeah, something like that. Like they're a much better team. Um even though it was one of Oregon's worst performances of the year, um, you know, they, they still wiped them. They, they still killed them at home on the road. Yeah, 42-6, to six, so that'll do. Um, that uh, Washington-USC game, the over-under is 76. And I, I think that's honestly too low. Um, Washington struggles. Uh, I, think, I think they miss Jalen McMillan a lot. Um, hmm. He hasn't really been healthy. The last couple weeks, uh, obviously he played a little bit against Oregon, but then it like immediately went out like the first or second quarter. I can't remember exactly, but same thing happened against Stanford. Um, you know, I, I want to say it's a lot easier to cover two rather than three receivers, but Oregon didn't do that. So uh, it's still difficult to cover Roma Dunze um, and Jalen Polk. But um, yeah, I just think, I think it's uh, Matt. You're 100 right, and that Oregon continues to trend upward in their play and uh, everything too. Um, Cameron Ward had a really good game against Oregon, but look, their defense was there. Um, that's a tough offense to stop. Um, they had opportunities, it, and they were just perfect throws by Cam Ward to move the ball down the field. This week against Cal, it's going to be a lot of RPOs, run heavy. Um, it's going to be a little bit different than what Oregon has seen this year because it's been a lot of like air raid or uh, a lot of spread offense. Excuse me, I hit my mic. A lot of spread offense and stuff like that. Uh, this is going to be a, this is going to be a different task. So I'm interested, but we'll we'll get into Cal uh, later in the week. Last question from at Tim Stiggy twelve. Where are you predicting Oregon to be in the first college football playoff poll, and will any committee member have the guts to rank them ahead of Washington after recent performances from the Huskies? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, for those unfamiliar, we get our first uh, sneak peek here uh, on, I think it's Tuesday evening. I don't know, Jared, I can't remember the exact time. Is it like 5 Four o'clock. Four or five, something like that. Four, five, something four like o'clock. That. Matt says four. Okay. Um, honestly, I think Oregon's going to be right where they are in the AP. Um, I yeah. think they're going to the be the highest ranked one loss team, but I just don't see the committee coming out and putting Oregon ahead of any unbeaten teams. Um, no, I mean, well, and to the committee members thing, it's not like we see individual committee members' rankings, so maybe somebody will. Maybe I'm, They'll have a conversation maybe, but I would be stunned if they come out and their final decision is to have Oregon ahead of Washington because it was just two weeks ago. And to the points we just made, like Washington's clearly not played very well at all like since they played Oregon. like I don't know how much that's an Oregon like hangover from that game. How much of that is did, did Oregon put some stuff on film that these last two opponents have been able to kind of pick up on and, and – and find ways to challenge Washington. I'm not sure what the answer is. I just know Washington's not playing its best football, or at least its games have been way closer than anyone anticipated. 
these last two games. Um, but I would be really, really honestly, I don't even think it's a possibility Oregon's ahead of Washington. And and now do I think Oregon has is is playing better? Absolutely. But I that's not what this college football poll is attending to do. It's it's trying to put the teams who have the best resumes and because of the head to head, Washington's resume is better than Oregon's right now. Yeah. No, I think they'll be six. Um, there's no world in which Oregon is ranked higher than Washington in this first AP poll. I, they, like Eric said, they have the head-to-head win. They're undefeated. I know that, yeah, like they've, they've looked worse, but it doesn't matter. Like they had still the strong They won the game schedule. that mattered. They won the game that mattered. If Oregon had won, they'd be ahead of Washington. And uh, I'm sure some people would have that same uh, conversation if you're a Washington fan. It's like, oh, we played them really well, and then we won the two games after. Like, why aren't we ahead of Oregon? Like, eh, it's because you lost. And so there you go. Uh, number six overall is my prediction. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I mean, what nice. am I going to say? I, yeah, I go last I every time. Like, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> to include Matt in the conversation, because this is a question that was, like, pretty obvious answer. Matt, how about this to you? If Oregon had beaten Washington, how high do you think they hypothetically mm. would be as an unbeaten with a Two. win over Washington? Two. 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 They'd have, they have the best, mean, that would be they would have two of the best wins in college football. Ohio State would be one, I think. Um, who's Michigan played? Michigan hasn't played anybody. And teams are scoring like six points a night against them. They're just yeah. thrashing people. But they I do think I do think Oregon would have better. Oregon would have the resume in terms of the wins over. Some of those. I mean, they, would, they would have a, a top ten win on the road at at Washington. They would have uh, a win over Utah, which was at the time top fifteen uh, in the country. They would have at the time a top twenty five win over Colorado on their on their resume. Um, I, I think they would be two, two or maybe three, maybe three. Um, Georgia would be the one where I'm kind of like, what what do you what do you roll with there? But Michigan hasn't played anybody. You look at some of the predictions out there that we've seen from Heather Dinich, who has like the best tie-in to the college football playoff. And she's high on, on Georgia. She's high on Ohio state. Um, I, I think if Oregon had won that game, they, they would be two undefeated with a top 10 win on the road to the resume with another almost top 10 win to the resume. Like, the league is really good, and it's shown up in the polls, and it's shown up in the respect. I would uh, – yeah, no, I'd have them fourth. I'd have Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Oregon. It's fair. Georgia would be – I think Georgia's – and it doesn't even necessarily have to do with what they've done in terms of their resume, but it's kind of unimpeachable. They, this team, like, hasn't lost yeah. in forever, so I just think you're yeah. just their auto one until – Somebody beats them, and good. Oh, and 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 then I, I I might have Oregon three. I just think I think I'd put them over Florida State, just based on resume. If in this hypothetical sure. again, we're just making up stuff now to fill time because Matt yeah. didn't didn't have an opportunity to answer the question. Like because it was I didn't ask for that, but like yeah. the 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 bigger I guess the bigger point I would make is what comes out on Tuesday doesn't matter. Yeah, like, no, no, not at all, no. And so, like, don't get upset that Oregon is behind Washington or don't get upset that 
Texas is ahead of Oregon because they have a win at, at Alabama to their name. Like all this stuff will get sorted out in the next couple of weeks. And we have seen that this show likes to create the drama for the last month of the football season um, in previous years with their ranking releases early on in the process. So like it matters, but in the grand scheme of things, if Oregon goes four and zero in the regular season and gets to Las Vegas, they will have a they will be playing in a play-in playoff game, essentially. Beat yeah. whoever you play when you get to Vegas and you're in. And I understand that there's five undefeated teams right now in college football, and there's only four spots for the college football playoff. But the reality is, Ohio State and Michigan have to play each other. One of those teams will drop out, and then the second one. We have never seen four teams go undefeated to get to the college football playoff. Someone will lose. And if you are a 12-1 and Pac-12 champion Oregon team, you will be in the college football playoff. I feel very confident in saying that. Yeah, I think whoever – between Oregon and Washington, whoever goes 12-1, and um, I think they're in. If, if, you know, if both of them right. uh, get to the championship game. I think whoever wins that, that yeah, uh, I think they're going – I, I still think someone's going to slip up like Oregon. I don't know. Probably going down the desert isn't, isn't really it. But Washington, again, back 12 play. No one's gone undefeated yeah. in conference season. So nine and oh, so there's going to be some opportunities, but I think Matt, you're hundred percent correct. Like whoever wins, if it is, you know, two one loss teams in championship game with Oregon and Washington, whoever wins is that's an automatic to the college football playoff. Um, yeah. And then we get to see how one of those teams fares against potentially a future conference mate in the Big Ten, because I think there's a decent chance it could be a two three between the winner of the Big Ten and the winner of the Pac-12, possibly, which mm-hmm. would be just add extra ammunition going into um, the start of Big Ten play with all these new West Coast teams out there. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back later this week breaking down Utah's the win over Utah and the look ahead to Cal. We'll get players and Dan Lanning's perspective on that. Uh, we'll also have a guest on this weekend and then for this week. And then later on in the week, we'll have our preview and prediction show. All that coming up this week here on the Autzen Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. <laughs>